Welcome to the Nix, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I'm Fanny Darling. And I'm Justin Hartung. As always, a quick warning, there may be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we'll do our best to let you know they're coming. This week, we're talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Plus, Justin somehow, subconsciously, remembered my recommendation and finally finished Cheer. All right, as we do every week, we're going to ask you to please rate and review us. You're going to ignore us, and I'm going to cry. Moving on. What'd you do in pop culture this week, Justin? Uh, hey, can you guess? I finally finished <laughs> Cheer. Uh, you were right. Uh, it's I, I'm in shock that I did not remember you talking about this as we have slowly been talking about it. I think I talked about it last week, maybe. Um, we None of us can remember who talked about Cheer when, except we know for a fact you talked about it first. And I did not pay attention because hashtag not about football, spaced out. Uh, I, like this, the cone goes down over him. He hears me say anything that like is anywhere near sports or reality. And this like big bubble comes over the podcast and it just Plops down over my, I can see it. His eyes frost over. He's not hearing a word I say. And I will tell him if I think he's going to hate something. Like I said, yeah. don't watch Last Chance You. Watch Cheer. He didn't hear that, though. And I then pretend to, like, fiddle with the levels on the yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, this show is amazing. I don't know how it will be topped in my pop culture this year. I say that often early and then forget to put things on the list. But this absolutely is one of the best TV experiencing TV viewing experiences I've had in the last, I don't know, several years. Um, it is the very definition of intersectionality uh, between queer kids, uh, kids of color. Uh, poor kids. F- poor kids, female kids. Like, it just is so good about kind of humanizing everybody and yet also, you know, not, I would say not taking to task this uh, kind of dangerous uh, teen sport with an industry around it, but not also shying away from the dangers. It definitely is a very just even-handed... It does feel like what good journalism is supposed to be, just sort of even-handed reporting. I thought it was super honest about some of the downfalls, body image stuff, um, eating disorders, parents. Mm -hmm. um, Stage moms, basically. I thought it did a good job of showing both the ups what it can do for kids and the downs of what it can take away from them. I loved it. I thought it was just great. I have been just our friend, Amy, who we talk about a lot on front of the pod. I am always telling her about it and she's finally started watching it. And I'm just like, I want to talk to you about Lexi. I want to talk to you about Morgan. I want to talk to you about Darius. Ladarius. It's like, it is these characters, characters, these people are iconic. No, they're great. In our kind of pop culture landscape now. And and not in a gross way and a really, I mean, I guess this is probably what a lot of people get out of a lot of reality TV, and maybe this is just my version of that, but I really do, uh, I end up caring so much about everybody in this show. Uh, Spoilers, I don't know. There's, by the way, there was an interview about Lexi. Did you watch the Ellen DeGeneres thing? No. Okay. I'm going to tell you to go watch that. I haven't actually seen it yet, but I read something about it. Okay. there's more of a happy ending than you think without going into spoilers. I don't want to go into spoilers here because I feel like everybody should watch this show. Um, I 
yeah, I could not wait to go f- watch the final episode. I cheered. It is lovely. I cheered. Wah, wah. Yeah. Um, it is great. This I can't say enough good stuff about the show. I will say, if you do start it, I think when I talked about it last time, I'd seen one episode, maybe two. It it didn't grab me right away because I thought, oh yeah, sports mean coach like kind of mean. Um, yeah, it just didn't grab me right away, and I thought, how am I going to get through like six episodes of this? It seems a little boring. By the third episode, I think I was just all in. Yep. It does such a good job of sort of layering in these storylines in a very slow but steady way. You just sort of get little new shades of people as it goes along. And they were really smart to focus on just a certain number of kids. Um, I don't think I want to watch... Would you watch a second season? I don't think I would, but... I mean... Okay, if... They go the same way as Last Chance U, where it's a different squad. Yes, I probably would, because all seasons of Last Chance U are interesting, but they focus on very different people. Do I need to go back and see Jerry and Ladarius and Lexi and Morgan? As much as I care about all these children, and I want to know that they're okay in their worlds, I don't want them to turn into reality show personalities i don't want them to be the people from vanderpump rules who only have instagram and our personalities i want them to go on with their lives so no i don't want the show i wouldn't watch a second season just because i don't want it to be about that for them yeah i feel like it also sort of made its point i'm not sure what other point it would make um so that i guess maybe that's for me the difference between like you know, a reality show we just sort of like the characters and you keep watching in a docuseries that makes a very... I thought this made such a focused point. Well, and was, yeah. Last Chance You does that as well, and it does it by focusing on different squads and on different uh, kids, and there's usually a different point of view to each season. How many seasons are there? I think there's four. Wow. Um, and what's that on? I believe it's on Netflix. Okay, same director. And, yep. Okay. Yep, yep same... same uh, well, I don't know about director. Yes, same I believe creator. director, creator yeah. type. Yeah. May give that a shot. It's um, about football. I, I mean, mean, it is about football. But so, when it's that good, I can I love probably that handle it. You said but when I said it's about football. <laughs> <laughs> this guy understands people in a no, way he really that. Does. Absolutely. I, like a fictionalized thing, just, I, you know, you, yeah, it's just not the same for me. So I, got um, you. I, will, I will give this one a try, certainly. I'll report back. Um, what else did I do? I saw The Lodge. The Lodge, I think, was on our preview. Go back and listen to our uh, 2020 preview. If you haven't listened to that, it was on there. Um, a little disappointing. I was very excited about the previews for it. It is from the same directors as Goodnight Mommy, who are this uh, Austrian uh, two women. I don't actually know who wrote this, but it stars uh, Riley Keough. Keough? Keough? Keough. And she um, is? Uh, from Game of Thrones. And, no, she's not from Game of oh, Thrones. Oh, no. She's Elvis Presley's granddaughter, and oh. she is a... Uh, she was in Lucky Lo- Logan Lucky, and she's kind of a Soderbergh okay. darling. She okay. was in Magic Mike. Yeah. She's... Okay. Yeah, but she, mostly, she's Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Who was the actor that was in Game of Thrones as Kit Harrington's girlfriend? What's her name? That's Rose Leslie. Uh, never mind. She's busy helping her dad run under the Brexit party, so she's... no. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, Riley Keough is really good in this. I did like her a lot. I thought she was I one like of the best her. things about it. Um, good Night, Mommy is a movie that I may have talked about on this podcast that was so scary that I walked out because I couldn't handle it. It was so intense. Uh, this is not as scary, which I guess is good because I made it through the end. But the bad part of it is... It's, it's not as scary. Not as scary. <laughs> um, it is about a 
kind of stepmom who takes kind of after Alicia Silverstone is this mother of these two kids who kind of disappears from the scene. I don't want to go oh, spoilers. Oh, we're old. Uh, we are very old, right? Wow. And so Riley Keough's got to take these two stepkids to a uh, lodge in the woods and uh, she has a history of some cult stuff. So you might actually like the cult stuff a little more than I, I did. Cult. Um, and that is coming back to haunt her. And you, it's like Goodnight Mommy. It's hard to tell what is kind of real and who's, who's kind of the good guy and who's the bad guy with the kids and the kind of parental figures. And I think there's something interesting about that. It just, in my mind, didn't go anywhere wah, that interesting. Wah. Yeah, left with a big sad trombone. Um, speaking of other sad, sad trombones, uh, Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, I had heard from numerous people that this was better than they expected. Amazing. So I tried to give it a chance. Um, it is um, Mangold, who did Logan and Walked the Line and a bunch of movies that I like just fine. Uh, I liked this just fine, maybe a little less than just fine. It is like, I think it's two hours and 15 minutes. It's fucking way too long. I have gotten really good at saying, I know you really liked, I heard that you really liked that when people recommend that I watch it. I'm like, I'm glad that you liked it so much. I, because I don't know how to say I'm not watching this movie. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear you say that. Please go on. The race scenes are fantastic. They are actually really thrilling when they're happening. They're really well filmed. They're exciting. Um, I get, I think that's what's jazzing people most about this movie is just like, oh, these are really good car race scenes. Uh, Bale is always good. He's always good. Um, Damon is a lemon as always, uh, speaking of car metaphors. And this movie just does not, I don't know. Like, I just like, why does this exist? It's sort of, I guess, uh, theoretically about the little guys fighting against the big guys, which is like Ford versus, it's, none of it makes any sense. So Shelby... He was a car... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. It, no. It's all like car... Yeah. I could make so many dick metaphors at yep. this point. I do not care. I'm glad people are enjoying it. Have a good time at the movies. You know, pinch people's lips. Let them like things. I don't have to like what you like. And I can tell you, I'm not going to be interested in this movie. Yeah. So I'm glad that people are enjoying it. Just did not care at all. Um Something I cared a lot more about was uh, it's a documentary from 1968 that was just re-released last year and is now on Netflix. It is called The Queen. It is uh, about basically a drag pageant from 1968 in New York, and it is very roughly made. There are times where you feel like how much of this was sort of scripted because – you know, it doesn't really feel like they would have been able to make a truly like documentary film about this topic in 1968. Um, it's a little cringy in the same way that Boys in the Band is, with people just being so nasty to each other um, without the sort of you know distancing effect of camp in something like RuPaul. It just real feels really just nasty, um, but it's interesting and it really is um, a look into the beginnings of, of sort of drag culture. And you know, I think a lot of these sort of especially like early things there are a lot of people that are like trans or non-binary and this was like the avenue and it sort of made me think about how much separation there is now and how fortunate we are to be like you can celebrate both drag and sort of uh gender expression in totally different ways um so i thought a lot about watching thought a lot about that while watching it's really you should watch it it's pretty pretty amazing um i mean it's very white for the most part it's very greenwich village kind of like cigarillos like everybody sort of you know being super nasty to each other but it's 
it's interesting and fun, and especially as somebody who lived in New York, I always like looking at old New York just in in any context. Um, I also finally finished another book, uh, The Stone Sky, the third book of the Broken Earth trilogy. Who's uh, that by? And Kay Jemison. <laughs> I have got this down. You know I had to do it. Um, and... I didn't love it. Uh, I think that it's another one of those series that sort of progressively just sort of didn't kind of stick the landing. I have this problem in a lot of trilogies. I, um, but, I mean, the writing stayed really good. I think she really understands characters. I love generally what she was trying to do with this. I did sort of read about, uh, the, you know, sort of an acknowledgments thing. She was dealing with... Uh, the sickness and eventual death of her mother while writing this book. And there's all this stuff in it where you're like, you finish it and you read the acknowledgments and that's what's in the book. Right. Um, but she's also clearly trying to wrap up this crazy, epic, somewhat confusing, very high fantasy. I don't know if high fantasy is the word. What's Ursula K. Le Guin? Is that high fantasy? I mean, it's not like unicorns and dragons. It's sort of like. It's not urban fantasy. It's high fantasy. But there's something in the middle that's more like. Fantasy. Yeah. It's just fantasy, I guess. Um yeah. So I, I really liked what she was trying to do. It just it does a lot of shifting narratives to the point where you're just kind of like, who's talking now and what? And it's just there's so much lingo that you kind of have to learn about all the the world and the powers you're constantly. I hate it when people do that. Yeah, I, oh, that's a yeah, that's a joke over there. Um, I I will say I like her writing enough that I'm very excited to s- sort of dive into whatever she has next. Is a book that's coming out uh, that's actually I think. Maybe sort of urban think, fantasy. It's at New York. I, I, yeah, and I think it's really out because yeah. I've been seeing it in my Goodreads feed. So either yeah. either people are getting their arcs or it's out. Yep. So I'm going to give that a shot because I, I still really am interested by her and want to know what she has to say. Also, follow her on Twitter because she's great and wonderful. Um, she does a great thing where she just constantly, uh, just almost any sort of female writer of color, she just signal boosts if they just like tweeted her with something they've worked on. And right. I just super appreciate that. She's great. Uh, what did you do in pop culture? Not a lot. It was my birthday. Yay, so happy birthday, I, Fanny! Had, I had family and friends and all and kinds pizza. of stuff. So, and pizza and chicken and waffles and dinners. And so I didn't do a ton of stuff, but then after my family left and I was depressed, uh, <laughs> Love you, Sid. Um, I cleaned my house because that's what my mother always taught me you did when you're depressed is clean nice. your house. So when I did that, I turned on Netflix Love is Blind. This is my special kind of heroine. Uh, <laughs> this is a show where people go into pods and have dates and fall in love instantly and then ask each other to marry each other. Um and it's hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey. And then they all come out of the pods and have to go on these like vacations, but they all go together. Now, keep in mind that they didn't just talk to one person. So there's like eight guys and eight girls and they all go into different pods and talks to different people. So some people liked more than one person mate. Right. And there was this one guy, Barnett. He's awful. He's like dude bro frat guy of the extreme he had three women on the line all right and he finally chose one he chose the one that's like i don't like girls and i was in the army reserve and i'm super badass i hang out with the guys do not trust women that say this friends do not they're always the mean backstabby bitchy will tell you uh, any girl that tells you i'm a guy's girl 
avoid these girls. I'm just, I, just you heard it here dude, first. You it's heard it, it? Yeah, just <laughs> avoid these girls. Anyway, so the minute he told one of these girls who has a baby voice and. At, at one point, give, lets her dog drink her, her red wine out of her glass. <laughs> like, like she's already drinking. It's not like, here, have the dregs. I didn't notice that you were dr- eating it. No, she offers the dog her half-drunk glass of red wine, and the dog drinks it. And Parker and I were, and she has a baby voice. So she's in love with the dude bro, the douche bro, dude bro, frat guy asshole. And uh, he lets the one girl that he probably should have gone with go and then goes with the I've never I drove a tank I never I'm always a guy's girl women are catty bitches because you're the biggest catty bitch there is anyway (laughs) he chooses her and he tells the the baby voice girl that he isn't gonna be with her this is all spoilers I don't care um (laughs) I know none of you people care so she goes back to the guy that's super in love with her, but she's freaking out because she's 34, which she says like it's a terminal disease all the time, right? That she's 34 and he's 24 and she's like freaking out the whole time. And then what are people going to think? It's fucking ridiculous. Anyway, so they're like the soap opera people that you watch for the train wreck. And then there's the two really sweet couples. There's the uh, couple who didn't realize that they were interracial until they met and they're really sweet and you root for them. And then there's this uh, kind of crazy venezuelan chick who taught herself uh english by reading and she see she like at first she seems because she's kind of barbie dollish looking so you think oh you kind of write her off she's super smart and she knows that she self-sabotages and she like meets this guy and they're really sweet and they but they kind of fight but then they like work stuff out well and so you root for those two couple and then there's like the boring couple that nobody cares about so this is love is blind uh the wedding episode is tomorrow and if um, Damien and Gia don't make it, I will personally die. And, and there's no queer stuff at all. No, 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 no. It's, it's all straight. But I, but I like the, the, you know, the premise of, you know, is love blind, meet behind the pod. Right. These are all attractive people. It's bullshit. But then the, the, the creators were very smart to then shove them all together in Mexico and have them, you know, have, there is some drama. Right. And... It's super watchable. It's terrible. You will hate it. Do not watch this show. It is all about football. I heard good things, and now you no, you will hate it. It is all about football. Do not watch it. Okay. This is this is anti Justin Nip. <laughs> Do not watch this show. You will hate it. Done. I am super invested. You will hate it. Also, for nine one one Lone Star update, remember how we talked earlier about how all of the uh, emergencies weren't even super like Texas centric. They heard our cry. They are making them more Texas centric. To wit, there was a fire at a cow insemination factory <laughs> where the big, huge barrels of bull stuff, because they had to say stuff the whole time, began getting really hot and shooting into the air and every cast member member said bull stuff at least 15 times this show is still terrible i'm still gonna watch every episode episode of it but we did have an explosion at a bull stuff factory and remind me that the canisters don't explode no they just go flying through the air and over the radio they go what is this where are we well i think that's bull stuff sir are you sure yes i'm pretty sure owen owen 
Owen Strand. Because, like, oh, because they couldn't find a whiter guy name than, uh, than Owen Strand? I'm pretty sure they, in the original draft, had exploding canisters of bull stuff. Yeah, I'm and pretty somebody sure. somebody talked about it. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they and thought, Ryan Murphy well, it's was Ryan like, Murphy. That's was like, too far for me, No, 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 apparently. no. My <laughs> guess is Ryan Murphy said, do this. And yeah. FX said, so here's the thing. <laughs> not were- only can you not have exploding bull semen all over people's face you cannot have rob Lowe like swipe that off his sweaty god see orange face as you want ryan murphy because this isn't actually fx this is fox but you can't even say bull semen you have to say bull stuff (laughs) and so opportunity to get back at fox Ryan Murphy made them all say bull stuff at least 25 times. <laughs> each actor. That's what happened. That is my fanfic of how this happened. You're welcome. Moving on. This is all I did in pop culture. Family week. Bull stuff. Uh, bull stuff. Family week and bull stuff. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that sounded weird. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to our main topic. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, this is a huge festival hit that everybody and their mother has been talking about in the film Twitter and the film uh, world. Mm. Uh, we saw, oh, you haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire yet? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're um, not, you, you uncultured swine. <laughs> it had a very short uh, awards run and then took fucking forever to come out here. Yep. Uh, which may explain some of our feelings about it because I think it was very much overhyped for both of us. Um, it was directed and written by Celine Siama. I'm hopefully not butchering these French names. She directed a movie called Girlhood, which ended up, on, I think, on my top ten list from a year or two ago. Go watch Girlhood. It is amazing. I loved Girlhood uh, about a French um, uh, you know, group of girls, young teenagers. It's great. Go watch it. Uh, this movie stars uh, Naomi Merlant and Adele Hanel. I have no idea if I said that right. Uh, the plot is roughly, in the 1700s, a painter is commissioned to do a portrait of a young woman who is fresh out of a nunnery. She's also betrothed to be married uh, to somebody she's not particularly excited about. The painter is forced to do her work from memory only, as the young woman does not like being painted, sort of... Won't sit won't for, sit for it. Uh, and the two women slowly realize their feelings for each other, but they have to keep their love a secret in classic... Uh, Forbidden love traditions. Um, what did you think of Portrait of Lady on Fire, Fanny? I only almost fell asleep three times. <laughs> I mean, I say this so often on this on this podcast, but it was fine. I mean, it was pretty. The performances were great. Great. I cared way more about a tertiary character, and I thought that that character's arc was much more interesting yeah. than I did the two main women. There is a house frau type character who uh they sort of befriend and all three of them start a friendship and it turns out that she is pregnant it they bring in a whole like basically a whole bunch of gypsies and 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 just a few small scenes of how one would deal with this sort of situation and um and they just kind of skirt along these really interesting themes and uh how this girl does or does not have agency in her situation and and the the people that would help her and i found that to be much more interesting than these two literally swapping lines of 
saliva. You know, the, the slow motion saliva I was not into. The story of this, A, these three women's friendship, the three of them forming a friendship, and then the story of this other, other character, to me, was way more interesting than the rest of it. Um, it. This movie took a lot from Call Me By Your Name, which, and I didn't think in a good comparison light. Um, it was crazy how similar the beats were. I didn't yeah. really see it for some reason, but then when you yeah, pointed I got it out it afterwards, yeah. There's there like... were four or five scenes where I was like, yep, Chalamet did that better. Yep, that was more interesting when it was a peach. Yep, you know, I just, I I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it, and it did not put itself in the best light for that. Again, it was beautifully shot. Everybody in it was gorgeous. The performances were great. It seemed to be well written, but it just didn't grab me by the throat. What'd you think? Um, I definitely this is another one that it just felt over felt overhyped, as I said yeah. before. I just had heard so much about it, and I really liked uh, Siama's last movie, as I mentioned. Uh, the previews looked gorgeous. Um, it was pretty boring. The, the, there's very little music in it except for one of the most spectacular scenes where these gypsy women sing and we hope they're gypsy we'll correct ourselves if not but uh that is such a striking scene full of music and you're but it sort of makes you realize like okay we could have done with like i don't need a totally drippy syrupy soundtrack but i could have used something something to move it along there's just a lot of quiet slow movement which you know call me by your name had some of the same thing but call me by your name had the advantage of being kind of funny and mischievous and frisky right um some of that i think has to do with it obviously the time, the time period was exactly. the 60s instead of the 1700s right, right. and it was you know yeah i yeah it just it's funny the movie is so in love with like painting and making art and and that sort of has an effect of sort of freezing things in amber, and and that was very much sort of meta in the movie of sort of like that the, like watching somebody, you know, her watching the person she's painting, we're watching her watching the right. person she's painting. I sort of get what they were doing, but it is a little stultifying mm-hmm. in the same way of sitting watching somebody getting their painting done. Yeah. Um. So I there was a lot that. You know, I was like looking at my watch a little bit. Um, I do think both the actors were terrific. Um, I it made me think a lot about um, the photograph last week and basically our whole conversation about the taxonomy of romances. And this squarely falls into, in my mind, two camps the forbidden love and the historical romance. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's just something about that intersection where it just feels like the story sort of writes itself and and becomes sort of unsurprising in a way. There's like very few surprises other mm-hmm. than that amazing scene of the women singing. Right. And also I'll say a nice follow-up scene uh, is where after sort of this, you know, sort of pregnancy situation concludes, they work that into a painting, which yeah, is really which- clearly... The, the painter's real interest is painting real women doing real things. Right. And that's, that's, there's some really smart, interesting stuff there. But all that said, the photograph is basically landed with mostly a critical and commercial thud. Um, I think I liked these movies about equally. And they I, even had similar themes of art yep. and art. Yep. Capturing people yep. and yep. kind of being a sort of allowed to express your love or not. Yep. Full of beautiful people. Very slow and languid. Um, yep. At least uh, the photograph had a better soundtrack. Um, but it, 
it made me think about why was one so acclaimed and one not. We've got some theories. Uh, could be a little racism. Could be a little... that That's my theory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it also, I think, is you know, French. And so it's lauded just for being French. Um, so elitism. And yeah, racism. and a little elitism. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's something very... You know, I, I will certainly be the first to admit part of the fun of Call Me By Your Name was just like it had a touch of the forbidden love thing, although that was more about they had an actual open environment, but they couldn't right. admit it themselves. Right. Um, but they're both so, you know, dashing and sexy to me as a gay man that and their kind of intersection felt so the coded language felt so relevant to me and it does make me wonder if some of this is like i'm outside of this movie in the same way i'm outside of the photograph in some ways and maybe that's totally fine and yet i'm outside of that conversation for call me by your name and it still spoke to me way more than this movie did right um it spoke to me on a very parental level at some points um and so maybe some of the coded language and that kind of stuff didn't hit me the same way it did you but because it had because it's other storylines were much more about how we can accept and treat our children to me you know that got me real bad yeah so maybe it was just the subplots were more spoke to me more yeah but it certainly spoke to me way more than this movie did yeah and by the time you get to the climax of this, which is where it really digs into Call Me By Your Name, like now that you've pointed it out to me, you just, that inevi- inevitability of heartbreak, um, just, it doesn't, and watching it, I even though I didn't make the Call Me By Your Name connection, it sort of felt like, okay, like where else was this going to go? Right. And so there's something admirable about that, but there's also something really unsatisfying as a viewing yeah. experience of, I don't know, I mean, except there's a lovely little, thing of like remembering and sort of in the built into the painting that was very sweet um but i overall i'd say i admired this movie a whole lot more than i enjoyed watching it yeah um so anyways i think that's it anything else you want to say we'll keep it short this week no that's it okay that's Um, all i have feelings about if you've seen this crazy uh lauded movie um Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is the hardest name to remember. You can tell us about it at Facebook at the Next Podcast. You can email us at motionnix at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at the Next Podcast. Uh, you can tweet me at Justin Hartung. I'm at Fanny V. Darling. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.